You know what I think we should do? I think we should stand up and read the 23rd Psalm together. How's that? Let's read it on the screen and let's repeat it. And so that we can actually uh, put a rope on that anchor and drop it down. Sound good? Sometimes when you speak it out loud so that you can hear yourself say it, it's very powerful. It's something that I've done since I was a young Christian. Let's start it with, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, none of that makes sense. If you're reading it through today's culture and today's understanding. And so over the next few weeks, and several weeks, I should say, we're going to unpack some stuff about sheep and shepherds and the culture of the day that are going to really help us, uh, you know, position this in a way that will help us in our today life, okay? Uh, and, um, and one of the things that I was thinking about is lately I've been hearing um, and, and whether it's on the news or social media or talking amongst friends, just hearing about, you know, serious things, dangerous trends and dangerous politics and dangerous uh, threats in our world uh, with nuclear and AI and all these things. And it can really disturb you. Uh, but this is something that's been going on since Jesus' time. It's been going on since the beginning of time. And, uh, but if you look at Matthew chapter 24, you can see a reason why we need Psalms 23. Matthew 24, starting with verse 3, um, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, which is a place that I went to when I went to Israel. And you could see all of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And he was sitting there looking at Jerusalem. And he said to his, and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all of this will happen. Referring to the end of the age. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Now, let's stop there for a second. We're hearing about wars and threats of wars. Rumors of wars, one translation says. Um, and Jesus says, but don't panic. He wouldn't say don't panic if it wasn't a choice. Some people will use the excuse of circumstances or threats or current tra tragic situations as an excuse to legitimize their panic. And what I would say is follow what Jesus says. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. We're seeing that. 
And kingdom against kingdom, we're seeing that. And when it's talking about kingdom, there's earthly kingdoms. There's the kingdom of finance, the kingdom of education, the kingdom of politics, the kingdom of the world, the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms of God. And there's all kinds of wars going on right now. Good versus evil, left versus right. There's all kinds of kingdoms warring against each other. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. It's interesting how Jesus really talked real with his disciples. He didn't give them a bunch of fluff. Hey, follow me. Everything will be rosy. It's going to be good. I'll give you the abundant life. Everything's going to be just fine. Now he says, you're going to be persecuted. Some of you will even die. There's no place to lay your head if you're going to follow me. You don't know what each day is going to bring. Sufficient is today what you need. Jesus says that you're going to be surrounded and hated by people that point the finger at you, just like I was. And so he's, he's not fluffing things up. He's not trying to entice people into the kingdom with just all of the benefits He's also showing them that if you want this, you're going to have to be someone that endures. The reason that I am wanting to do, and and Pastor Taylor and I have talked a lot about this, is wanting to do this series is because we really feel our church and Christians in general need to prepare themselves for not just the good times that they're going to have ahead, but ready to endure the challenging times in which we currently are in and will be facing in the future. And we don't have to wait for things to get better for us to live in peace and have a sense of well-being. Amen? Amen. And so I don't read this scripture to you to just say, hey, this was a pleasant day today. I'm going to ruin your Sunday morning with this depressing thought about wars and rumors of wars. I'm saying this to you to show you why we need an anchor like John Martinson has had that'll get you through the boot camp of life and give you a life more abundantly. Today, I want to talk to you about living without want. Living without want. The Lord is my shepherd. We talked about that last week, that he is legitimately worthy of being our shepherd. It says, I shall not want. What does it mean by that? What David, when he says, I shall not want, it was a decision that he made. I won't want. I choose not to be wanting. And uh, oftentimes we uh, look at um, having lack or having abundance as a spiritual thing in the sense of it shows the condition of how God has blessed you. If you have a lot, God's really blessed you. If you don't have much or you don't have anything, then God has abandoned you. And that's very incorrect. When I first gave my heart to the Lord, the church world had a belief uh, in the years prior that being poor was spiritual. The problem is it's really hard to help the poor when you're one of them. And so this fallacy of being poor is spiritual 
And there's some roots in that that someday maybe we'll dig into that. But there's a reason why people thought that. And so that the, being poor is spiritual it just started not working, especially as economies grow, consumerism grows, and uh, the needs of society grows. Uh, rent started going up, the cost of homes, cost of living, all that stuff started going up. And people said, well, I can't do it by being poor. I've got to have something. Okay, We're facing this in our society today. And, um, and so then the pendulum swung from it's spiritual to be poor or to have nothing or to not want anything to prosperity should be sought at all cost because that's the blessing of God. And if you're poor, it's because you haven't been doing the things of God. And if you're rich, it's because you have the blessing of God. And so I started believing that. As a young Christian, I was super immature. I was in my early 20s, and I didn't know much about the word or much about history of, of how things come across in the Christian world. And so I got caught up in that, and pretty soon I tried to get the biggest car I could get and the nicest watch I could get. I went down and got my shirts measured and uh, took my $7.80 an hour job and bought myself three shirts that were custom made from the Philippine Islands with, uh, with my embroidered cuffs with my emblem so that when I went into worship, I could lift my hands up. And show off my wealth. And my wife just about had a conniption fit when she, I came home and told her I bought these shirts that took us six months to pay off. And uh, so, so, yeah, it was not a good thing. And uh, so, we, but we see this passage here, and we see that David was deciding that he wasn't going to be in want. There's a, this is a, a condition where you're never satisfied. And a lot of times the reason we're never satisfied is because we put our wants into external things instead of internal things. I loved what, what John said when he says, I want my kids to be following the Lord and my grandkids to follow the Lord and to know Christ and my great, my 13 great grandkids. Uh, and notice he didn't say, I want them to be wealthy. He didn't say, I want them to have the nicest cars or the nicest homes. He probably wants all of those things for them. But the first thing that came to his mind is I want them to walk with Jesus. I want them to walk with no Christ. And uh, there's, this in, there's this constant tension between internal and external. And there's, there is this drive that all of us have to have this um, sense of well-being. But we look to the external things to get that sense of well-being oftentimes. If I could just get the cabin, if I could just get that certain car, but have you ever 
wanted something and then got it and then wish you didn't have it? <laughs> have you ever bought one of those things? Have you ever acquired one of those or committed to one of those things or set a goal and you go, why did I do this? Right? Okay? So this happened to me not too long ago. Well, four years ago to be exact. I just got done with my sabbatical. And while I was on my sabbatical, I was thinking about my family and thinking about my kids and thought a lot about them. And I thought, you know, I just need to do some more things with my kids. And, and, uh, and one of the things that I did when the kids were younger is I had this older Bronco that you could take the top off and go driving around with it. Yeah, it was so cool. It made me feel so cool. I loved it. I loved how it made me feel when I was driving it in the wind. It was really cool looking. And my kids loved riding in it and all their friends wanted to ride in it, especially when the top was off. And so when we, as the kids got older, I got rid of it and um, bought a, a car that made sense with gas mileage. And uh, it became a memory that our kids all had. My youngest son, Cameron, he had such fond memories that he decided to buy one too. Uh, and he, he was dating his now wife, Alyssa, and they would go on dates with the top off and they would go down the road and they would have great memories, four-wheeling and going to the beach and going to the mountains, doing all the things, right? They even, he even proposed to her on the tailgate of the Bronco, sitting in a field, Surprise, it's pretty romantic, all because of me. <laughs> so, but anyway, I thought, you know, I should get another Bronco so that me and Cameron can work on our Broncos together. And we'll work on them, we'll polish them together, and we'll fix them together, we'll lift them together, we'll do all these things, and it'll be, it'll be a bonding thing, and I really feel like that's, that's got to be of the Lord. And so I would start looking for when I find one, and it looked good. And it drove okay. Uh, but I knew it needed a tune-up. It needed a few things. So I bought it. And uh, I took it to the mechanic to get it checked out, and he goes, I wouldn't buy this thing. I said, well, it's too late. I already bought it. And that was the beginning of a regret. Pretty soon the, the windows didn't work, the windshield wipers quit working, the blinker fell off. Uh, you know, the headlight thing wouldn't turn the headlights on, and uh, the back window wouldn't work, and it just, and I kept finding rust everywhere. And I realized I'd done made a mistake. And one thing worse than making a mistake is telling your wife that you've made a mistake. <laughs> She didn't want me to buy it in the first place. But I wanted it so bad, I was willing. Yeah, you know what willful blindness is? You blind yourself from looking at anything that could be wrong just because your picture is so clear of how things are going to be once you get it that you're going to have this overwhelming sense of well-being and purpose and excitement and fun and all the things. And then you get it and it doesn't happen. And uh, David, it was interesting, David was a shepherd, and then he became a king 
after a series of events. But he also ended up getting in a situation where he got into an adulterous affair, actually had somebody's life taken, which was her husband, and had to go through a series of, of repentance. And then his son betrays him. So as he's writing the 23rd Psalm, he's looking over his life as, as a lot of stuff that's happened. And he's like, I shall not want. He knew how to be rich. He knew how to be poor, to have nothing. But you can be poor and want, and you can be rich and be wanting. You know, Revelation says it like this. Revelation 3 says in verse 17, it says, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Yeah, sometimes we, we think that we're, we're doing pretty good, but actually we're not. You know, the Apostle Paul, he, he was such a great writer and such a great leader. He took the message of Jesus and translated it into how to do community. And in his talking to the churches, he said this in, in Philippians chapter 4. And this is probably, in the end of this passage I'm going to read is probably the most quoted other than John 3.16. This is probably quoted more than any other verse for empowerment and courage to go forward. But it's very misunderstood. And in verse 11, it says this, Philippians 4. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret. Okay, the secret. I can just picture John Martinson saying this. I've got a secret to tell you. After 84 years, Psalms 23. That was a secret he shared with us. This got him through some tough seasons. And it's getting him through the season that he's in right now. Paul says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. And verse 13, most misunderstood. I can do all things, everything, through Christ who gives me strength. What is Christ? A lot of people would say Christ is Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. No. <laughs> people knew about the Christ before Jesus was there. That's why they asked him, are you the Christ? Well, if Jesus was, you know, I mean, if the Christ wasn't before Jesus, why would they say, are you the Christ? Because that's what they were looking for. The Messiah, the anointed one. Are you it? What, what, what is the Christ? The Christ is the spirit. It's ultimately the spirit of love that transcends every trauma, every difficulty, every stressor, every desire, every evil thought, that it can, it can penetrate the hardest of hearts. The Christ 
is the overwhelming sense of well-being and connectivity with the creator himself. The Christ was in the beginning and the Christ is here now in this room. And the Christ lives within you and the Christ lives within me. We can do all things through that Christ that lives within us, that Jesus so embodied, that now you get to embody. That Christ-likeness is that spirit that says, I'm working for peace at all costs. I'm working for hope instead of fear. I'm working for love instead of hate. I'm looking for the good instead of the wrong. In people and in our world and in the future, I'm seeing the good. I'm choosing to so that I shall not want. Paul says, I can do all things. So in other words, if you're going through a season where you can't figure out where your next meal is going to come from, or you're trying to figure out if you should buy an apartment complex or a condo complex, whatever season you're in, you can do those things through a Christ-like spirit everything. And so there is this internal and external thing that gives us well-being. If I gave you tickets to go to Hawaii right now and you flew over there and stayed in the free condo that I'm about to give you, you get a condo and you get a, no, uh, anyway. Uh, But if I could do that, I'd love to do that, right? But if you went there, you would have this experience that would feel so peaceful. You'd smell the flowers and hear the ocean and, and see the sunshine and something that we don't get to see very often. And even when we do have it, we block out all the windows so that we can't see outside. And, um, and so you get there and it will be this sense of well-being that is really awesome. The thing is, you come home. You come home. And then that sense of well-being is now subject to where you're located. You come here and it's raining. And then if your sense of well-being comes from the weather, then you're going to be disappointed. Right? That's why I don't like pointing out the rain. Because I don't want to be happy or sad because of the rain or because of who our governor is or who our mayor is or any of those kinds of things. I am not going to allow any politician or any political thing, or any dumb, stupid decision that our politicians come up with to change how I feel on the inside. Jesus is in control of that. I can do all things through the Christ, the Christ that lives within me, okay? And this is what David had. He had the Christ. The Spirit of Christ was there. And um, I want to give you Real quick, I'm going to go through some things because we only got a couple minutes. But these, these things will help you live in an internal sense of well-being instead of having the external be the governor of your soul. Okay? The first thing you want to do, there's five of them. You might want to write these down. Shift what you want. Shift what you want. 
Um, in other words, make a priority. The, the, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. If you read that in its entirety, you'll find out that he's talking about houses, clothing, and food. Seek first the kingdom of God over houses, clothing, and food. Some of us are spending more time talking about our next rental property or trying to get a house than we do in seeking the kingdom. He says, seek first the kingdom and then all those things will be added to you. Oh, why? Because you will have kingdom priorities and therefore God will show you in a very powerful way opportunities that will blow your mind. And then the thing that you want in the natural will come as a byproduct of the fact that you sought the kingdom first. But shift what you want. Value the internal satisfaction over the external. That doesn't mean you don't value it. It just means that you value the internal peace and hope and calm in the midst of a storm over the external calm. Okay? Instead of valuing having a drink or taking a drug or going to a location or having a sexual experience and having that be more important than an internal quest to know God and to know his peace and to be able to give it to others. Shift what you want. Shift what you want. Number two, be happy for others. When others have an abundance, celebrate their wins. Don't be jealous. Don't be covetous. Don't ask God, why can't I have that? Or why can't I seem to pull myself together to get things like that? Just be happy for them. And then something will happen on the inside of you that's way more better than having those things. There's a peace that comes from knowing that you can celebrate the wins of people that are doing better than you financially or health-wise or relationship-wise. Instead of being jealous and wishing you had and saying, oh, me, be so excited for them. Number three, give everything away. What do I mean by that? Am I going to go sell my house tomorrow or my car? Nope. I am selling my Bronco if you want to buy it. (laughs) I still have it. I've had it for four years. I put 100 miles on it. It's just sitting there because I don't like it. I'm mad at it. I look at it. I go, you take up space and I don't like you anymore. Unless you're a mechanic and you want to come fix it for me, I'd love that. Um, But give everything away. What is that? Jesus had a rich young ruler come to him and say, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what was he saying when he said that? What he was saying was, because a lot of people think he was saying, what must I do to get to heaven? And that's not what he was asking. He was asking, what must I do to have eternal life? And that if you look up the translation of that, it's life of the ages. uh, The ultimate life possible. What must I do to inherit the most, the best life ever? Because he was rich. He was a ruler. He had money. And he was still seeking. He was lacking. And so many of us, we have so much, but we're still lacking. So what, Jesus says, so what have you done so far? He says, well, I've obeyed the commandments and I give a tithe of everything I make. And I, and he gives a list of all kinds of things. I honor my father and my mother and all these things. And Jesus says, wow, you've done well. 
But those were all external things. Those are all things. And he didn't say stop doing those things. He says you've done well. In other words, you do well when you do those things. But he was saying there's one thing that's missing. Go sell the stuff that you got and go give it to the poor. Then see what happens. So the guy walked away sad. We don't know why he was sad. Maybe it was sad because the secret was out and he could have done this a long time ago. And is that all that it takes? What was Jesus really saying? Was he telling everybody, if you want to get to heaven, you have to sell your house? That's not what he was saying. He was saying, if you want to be happy, give yourself away to others. Help people. Use what you have to help others. And so when I say sell what you have and give it away, I'm talking about whatever God gives you, use it to help somebody. If he gives you a cabin, if you feel like you were gifted with a cabin or he gave you the ability to buy a cabin, then send a single mom up there with her kids and buy her a bag of groceries and send her up there so she can have a vacation. Give it away. Give it away. Number four, quit looking over the fence. Some of us have FOMO. We feel like we're going to miss out if we don't own something or have something in our lives or if we don't acquire certain things that we see our friends acquiring and we have this fear of missing out. We're looking over the fence and we're always wanting what somebody else has. And that can be really, really hard on your internal peace, your internal, your insides allowing the Christ to work. So stop looking over the fence. Start looking what's on your side of the fence and make the best out of what you got. Who knows? Maybe God will tear the fence down. You don't have to look over the fence. Look right within the world in which you're in right now. Seek the presence Seek the presence of God, knowing that the good shepherd is with you, trusting that he's going to lead you and guide you. The reason that we go to church on Sunday mornings on a regular basis is because we want into our lives a spiritual rhythm of worshiping in a community of people where we're hearing the same messages, singing the same songs, learning the same things so that we can encourage one another and help one another so that we can help those that are addicted so that we can help those that are recently divorced and so that we can take the lessons from recently being divorced and help somebody that is struggling so that we can take our abundance and share it with those that have lack so that we can take our lack and share how we can be fulfilled even with still having lack. When we come together like this, We see the presence of God in the people that we're sitting next to. We see the presence of God in the worship lyrics and the scriptures that are being read and the prayers that are being said and the greetings that are happening and the the warm conversations that we're having in the foyer. And when we seek the presence of God, there's this overwhelming sense of well-being that says it's going to be okay even though it's not okay. Some of you need to know that. Kathy Chase is is honoring her husband today in the memorial of her husband. She is is having a party for 
all of his friends. Is it okay that he died? No, it's not okay. Is she okay? Yes, she's okay. Because she can do all things through Christ who strengthens her. He left way too soon. But if you look at the process of the last year in her life, you can see that the Christ-like spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father God, anchored her soul, anchored Tom's soul through the whole thing. They didn't lack. Oh, there was a lack of health. There was a lack of all kinds of things. But there wasn't a lack of spirit. They shall not want. They did not want. And the way that Tom exited and the way that Kathy handled it was by the grace of God and a beautiful thing that even the hospice worker said, I've never seen anything like it in my life. You can have that. You can have that. Let's pray. Would you stand to your feet? Lord, help us move from a sense of wanting to a sense of well-being with you. I'm sensing, can we just kind of close these lights down just a little bit? Just dim them a little bit because it's a little bright on me right now. I, I feel like there's some people that have some external lack that um, is so consuming it's so consuming that you um, you don't know how you can go on. I want to pray for you. I also sense that there's some people here that know that you're consumed with the external and it's ne- causing you to neglect the internal. And God wants to refocus you. So if you're here today and you identify with that, I want you to just slip out of your rows. I know the service is about to end, but I just want to pray for you. I'm going to have our prayer partners come down here. And, um, and if that's you, just bow your heads and just look within yourself. And if you sense that, just tap your shoulder, the shoulder of your neighbor and let, let them move so that you can get out of the row and just slip on down here. Father, I pray for every person that's in this room right now. Go ahead, you guys just just float down to the prayer partners wherever you want to go. Um, I pray for every person in this room right now, Lord, that you would give them a spirit of peace and overwhelming sense of well-being right now where there is lack. I pray that you would give them abundance. God, I pray right now that you would move on the hearts of the people that need to make a serious, radical adjustment in their lives. I pray, God, that they would walk out of this space here today and enter into an overwhelming sense of well-being so that they could hold their heads up high and say, I shall not want, I shall not want, I shall not want, I shall not want. But I do want the best 
my family. I do want the best for my children. I do want the best for my kids' kids. I do want the kingdom of God to be alive and well inside of me. In Jesus' name.